0: got a couple of things I want to share with you before we get started on this next one. First of all one thing I forgot to share last session as I travel around and teach this message and show those diagrams and go to those verses it's pretty clear that we died to the law is it not? Yes. I mean we saw Galatians 2.19 to start through the law I died to the law you can't get any more clear than that inevitably I will have people come up to me in their Christianette little world, and say, but don't you think we need the law? So I asked the Lord, Father, give me a one-liner, just a one-liner, that I can knock the crap out of them in Jesus' name. Okay? And I prayed and prayed and prayed for one-liner. And I was leaving church one day and going down Highland Road, past Highland Park, and the Holy Spirit gave me my one-liner. And I use it all the time. And so I want to share it with you. So you can use it all the time and knock the crap out of these people in Jesus' name. So here I am. I teach this message. We died to the law. We're alive to Jesus Christ. And up comes Ross and goes, but Pastor Frank, don't you think we still need the law? And here's my one-liner. My friend, why do you want to rob my Savior of the glory that he secured for himself at the cross? Why do you want to rob him of his glory? And boy, it shuts them up in Jesus' name. And I go, (laughs) it's so good. So, remember that line when somebody comes and tells you they need the law. Because they, why do you want to rob our Savior of the glory that He secured for Himself at the cross? That's a powerful statement. Okay, next thing. Shifting gears. Last night, we took a test. Remember? Pull out your piece of paper. Here we go. Exam time. We asked you, what happened at the cross? How many of you had Jesus died for my sins? As part of it. Yes? Hands? Good. What's the second half that was supposed to be on there? I died. I died with him. If you did not have that, you do not know that. You need to believe that. You need to receive by faith that truth. And just right where you're sitting, say, Father, I didn't realize that I died with him. Or if I did know it, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind and it needs to be. So I'm going to receive by faith that I was crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, buried and resurrected with Him and in brand new creation of God. Okay? With me? Time for another test. I'm going to ask you a question. It's time to think tonight. You ready, Bob? Alright. Here comes the question. How was Jesus able to do all that He did? Think about it. He walked on water, healed the sick, raised the dead, resisted temptation, loved the unlovely, was kind to his enemies. Question. How was a Jesus able to do that? Write down your answer. Quick as you can. Doesn't have to be an essay. Probably would take about 10 seconds. You got it? Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, walked on the water, loved the unlovely, was kind to his enemies. How was he able to do that? Write down your answer, put your paper away. We'll come back to it tonight, I promise. As I travel around and ask that question, the most common answer I get to that question is, well, Frank, Jesus was God. I need you to think about that answer. If that's true, then that's really bad news. For you and me. Why? Why? Because we're called to live the same life He did. Now, we're not called to walk on water and raise the dead and do all that stuff. But are we not called to love the unlovely? Are we not called to be kind to our enemies and to forgive and to be patient? The question is, how are we going to do that if we're not God? That means we're destined for failure in our Christian lives. Then you've got to go a little further and you start to have to start asking yourself, why would God call us to live a life that we can never live? That would be downright mean. That'd be like that little boy that pulls the flies off, wings off of flies. <laughs> you know, Here's God. <laughs> Come here, Jesus. We're going to call him to live the life they can never live. <laughs> you know, What is that? Is and then I've got to ask you a question. Could you worship a God like that? That calls you to do something you could never do? Well, the church says to me as I travel around, Oh, Frank, you don't understand. God understands that you're never going to be able to live this life. All he wants you to do is do the best you can, confess it when you blow it, and resolve to do better next time. Isn't that exciting? God has a wonderful plan for your life. The problem is that we have set, and if I'm being a little facetious, please forgive me. We've set Jesus up as an example of behavior. Where what we're doing is we look at what he did and then try to imitate what he did. So we look in the Gospels and we see him be kind to his enemies and so we try to be kind to our enemies. We see that he was gracious to the sick and the poor. So we try to be gracious to the sick and the poor. You got me? But what about when you realize that there's things that you have to do that Jesus didn't do? For example, how would Jesus drive a car? See? I'm convinced he'd salute some people in the name of Jesus. (laughs) at least that's my answer so, and this was a real phenomenon several years ago when we asked that question WWJD what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes and then again we try to imitate what he would do but you've got to look at this with reality do you realize how hard it is to be like God when you're not God how hard it is to try to be like God when you lack the resources now I want you to think about this with me what does the church call a man who tries to be like God Generally, we call him a man of God. But do you know what God calls a man who tries to be like God? He calls him a rebel. Right? God never called you to be like him. In fact, he doesn't want anybody to compete with him at all. He's a God who's jealous of his own glory. And will protect his glory. So that's not the answer. I had an occasion happen a few years ago... And um, I'll tell you about that. This guy is the vice president of a major missions organization. He's going to be the next president of this missions organization. So for that reason, I'll protect him. Because I want to be like Jesus. And I won't tell you his name or the organization he works for. But he's, he's up there. Okay? Well, he walked into my office. And he goes, huh. And I said, huh? He said, yeah, huh. I said, well, what are you huh about? He said, look at this. Look at all these books. Look at all these CDs. Look at all these DVDs. The church has never had that kind of resources in all history. Obviously, he's on an agenda. So I said, well, what's your point? He said, well, the point is this. The world used to divorce, but never the church. Then the church started divorcing, but never the missionaries. And now our missionaries are divorcing. And yet we have all these resources. What do you have to say about that? I I got a little gray hair. So I said... What do you think? Right? And he said, well, I think it's because nobody's preaching on sin anymore. And nobody's preaching on the standards of God. And nobody's holding these people accountable. And we're so eager to restore them that we're not loving them with conviction and discipline. That's what I think. Frank, what do you think? I said, well, I don't think that. He said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I think the problem is that our churches are doing with their people like our country is doing with its criminals. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, let me illustrate it. Brother, Ephesians 5.25, what's it say? He husbands love your wives. I said, do you do that? And he said, yes, I do. I said, oh my God, you are a stench in the nostrils of God with your pride. And he said, what? And I said, well, finish the verse. Husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Do you really mean to tell me you love your wife like Jesus loves the church? And he said, well, I try. I said, oh my God, you're even worse than I thought. <laughs> And he said, well, what do you do with that verse? I said, I confess I'm an utter failure at loving her the way she needs to be loved and have to depend upon Jesus to love her through me because he's the only one that can love her the way he loves the church. Now I'll explain what I mean. Our country takes criminals and educates them. And what do you get? Educated criminals. Our churches take people who are pridefully living independent of God and educates them with the Bible. And what do you get? A bunch of biblically educated, prideful people who live independent of God. (laughs) see who have a lot of knowledge but don't have any ability to be able to pull off what they know and what we supremely cannot do is we cannot love so because we're called to live the same way Jesus lived it becomes very very important that we understand how Jesus lived so that we will be able to live as he lived so we're going to come back to this question is there a better answer for how Jesus was able to do all that he did And what we're going to do is we're going to just look at two simple things tonight. So, Bob, you can stay in the front row. We're going to look, first of all, at how Jesus lived. And then we're going to look, secondly, at how we're to live. That's a pretty simple outline, isn't it? So, even Bob ought to be able to get it. All right. Feel the love, brother? All right. So, let's look, first of all, at how Jesus loved. And we want to say that Jesus is the example. He is the archetype. He is the model of how we're to live the Christian life. But not in terms of what to do behavior in other words we look at his behavior and then we go try to imitate but we look at how he did it we want to look at his method does that make sense so we're going to start going to the scriptures and look at his method because he tells us how he lived John 6 verse 57 I need a reader John 6 verse 57 you got it okay Tell her, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, he's got that down. He learned one thing this weekend.
1: <laughs>
0: it's in the New Testament. I hear him in sleep at night. It's in the New Testament. Don't even be going. What? What? <laughs> Are you not there yet? <laughs> <laughs> you made me laugh too hard. I was in third John. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's in the New Testament too. Tell her, Paul. <laughs> John six fifty seven. I'm on it. Here we
1: are. That says the living father sent me and I live because of the-
0: Okay, here we go. It sounds, well, she's eager now. I'll make up for it. I'll make up for it. I promise. I'll redeem myself. Not by works, baby. Not by
1: works. (laughs) Okay.
0: It sounds so arrogant for this pastor, measly pastor, to say we got translation problems. And I don't ever want to sound arrogant. Please don't hear me sound arrogant. But I do want to be a communicator of truth. Because the truth will set you free. But if you believe a lie, you'll be bound. And I don't want anybody bound. I want you to experience your freedom. So it's about truth. It's not about me being right. It's about truth. So please don't hear me be arrogant when I say this. But that is a very bad translation. Okay. And what I would challenge you to do is don't take my word on it. Be a Berean. Remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? They did not take what Paul told them at face value, but they went home to search the scriptures and make sure that what he's saying was true. So you go home and you pull out your Bible concordance and you look this up at the back in the Greek language and see if what I'm saying isn't true. The Greek word there is ek. Everybody say ek. I knew you could. How many of you get Mr. Rogers up here? Okay, anyway. Will you be my friend? Alright. Ek. Ek. Now we translated that because of that was what, a new American standard?
1: No, especially the
0: NIV. NIV, okay. You admit that in public. Okay, how many <laughs> how how about an NAS? Yeah. Somebody read that one?
1: As the Living Father sent me and I live because of the Father.
0: I live because of the Father. Anybody got a King James? Greg, you come in the front row, baby. I like you. I knew I liked you at the break.
1: As yeah. uh, the Living Father has sent me, and I live
0: by the Father. By the, see the King James? By. by. I, we don't live because of the Father. What?
1: You want the Amplified?
0: Okay, read the Amplified.
1: Just as the Living Father sent me, and I live by and through because of him, even so, wherever he continues to feed on me, wherever he takes me, for his food and his nourishment on me, shall in turn live through and because of me.
0: Live through. The Greek word is ek, and it means by, out of, or from. So do you see what Jesus said? I live out of the Father. The Father is my source. I live out of complete dependence upon God. Now, whenever you have a Bible verse like that and something we want to look at, we want to proof text it and make it sure that it's elsewhere. Because what this saying is that Jesus lived a life that was continually plugged in. He never ran on battery power. We got a great modern day illustration of this with something called a cell phone. We plug it in, charge the battery up and then what do we do? Disconnect and go run on battery power all day. That's exactly what people are doing in the body of Christ. They're having their morning devotion time where they plug into God and then they disconnect and try to run on battery power. That's not how you function, gang. We are to function according to the plug-in kind. We were made plug-in kind. Take a blender and plug it in. And what does it do? Blends. Blends. Makes wonderful margaritas or smoothies. (laughs) If you're not yet free. If you're not yet free, it makes smoothies. Now, you can unplug that blender. Now, you can do some wonderful things with it. You can use it as a vase. Put some flowers in it. You could use it as a pitcher. If you've got good hands, you can play catch with it. You can do a lot of things with it. But it's not functioning according to design. Right? In order to function according to design, it had to be plugged in. That's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, I lived a life of total plug-in. Now, let's look at some other verses and see if this isn't true. Somebody read John 5:19 and 20. Who's that one? Quickly. John 5,19 and 20. Yeah. Somebody read John 5:30. Yeah. Who's going to be that one? Great. over there. And then John 8:28. Bob, you got that one? 8:28. Okay. John 14:10. Great. in the back. OK, here we go. Tina, is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, John five nineteen and twenty.
1: Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son
0: likewise. Okay, did you hear it? Truly, truly, in other words, I really mean it. I really mean it. The Son can do nothing of himself. I am continually plugged in. Next verse, John five thirty.
1: I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge.
0: As I hear, so I judge. John eight, twenty eight.
1: When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me.
0: I only speak as I'm told. Do you see that? It's over and over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus said, I don't live independent. I live out of the Father. And by the way, this answers that long-asked question of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. Did you know that? How many of you remember the story of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8? Remember that they caught her in the very act of adultery? And they brought her before Jesus. By the way, where was the man? If they caught him in the very act, who else did they catch? But they got religious little bigots with their double standard. Right? They let the man go. I think they set her up. Okay, I think that this was a setup. And they conned the guy okay. into doing it, and then they let the guy go free and pulled the girl before Jesus. And they had him. By the way, their little conniving, little religious stinker minds had really come up with a good one. Jesus, what do you say? The law says stoner. What do you say, Messiah? And they had him. If he says let her go, then he what? Violates the law. If he says stoner, then what? He's not the loving Messiah. They had him. So, what did Jesus do? Help me out. He started drawing in the sand. I have heard some of the most ridiculous sermons on what he was doing. Okay. Oh, he was writing the sins of the Pharisees. Well, all sin is the same to all men. What a bunch of, you know, done. So, you know, I'll tell you what he's doing. We just read it. As I hear, I speak. He was buying time. Father, they got me. If I say stoner, I'm not the loving Messiah. If I say let her go, And I violate the law. Father, I need you. They've got me. Those little stinkers. What am I going to do, Lord? Oh, Father, you are so cool. Whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And then what do you do? Oh, Father, you fried them.
1: Look
0: look, look at them go. that's what happened in John chapter 8 I'm telling you
1: alright
0: John 14 in the back verse 10 ok well, I've got to help you out before we get to this one this is the final night of Jesus' life he's just told the disciples he's going away I'm going to the Father and what does Philip say? can you show us the Father? and what did Jesus say? Vey. It's vey it didn't make it into the New Testament but that's what he said because he's Jewish, right? And here comes his answer.
1: Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does. His works.
0: Okay, do you hear it? If you can't believe the words, can you at least believe the works? If you can't believe the lips, can you at least believe the life? Nobody can do what I'm doing unless they were the works of who? The Father. Oh, so now we've got to start asking some questions. (coughs) How was Jesus able to do all that he did? What did he just tell us? It was God the Father doing life through Jesus, as Jesus trusted him by faith. This is very important. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. Jesus, who existed in the nature of God, in other words, who is he? God. And the form or nature is that which cannot be changed about a person. I've got a Hispanic bride, Janet, a little Spanish girl. And so my kids are dark-haired and jet-black eyes. Okay? And they're half Spanish. Now, I could put blue contacts in them and dye their hair blonde and call them Svenson, Right? <laughs> but they're not going to ever be Svensons. I have changed the outside, but who they are is who they are. You with me? So Jesus is saying, who I am by nature is God. That can never be changed. But what he did is he humbled himself, took upon the form of a man. In other words, he said, I'm not going to exercise my omnipotence. I'm not going to exercise my omniscience, my all-knowingness. I'm not going to exercise my omnipresence. I'm going to take my godness and I'm going to voluntarily restrict the use of it, not the nature of it. I'm still going to be God. But I'm going to function as a man. By the way, this answers all those little stinker cults that come knocking on your door. They knock on your door and they say, Jesus is a created God. How can you say that? Well, he didn't know when he was coming back. So he's obviously not God. No, read Philippians 2. How come he didn't know when he was coming back? The father hadn't told him. (laughs) How come he didn't know who touched his garment that time? Because the Father didn't tell him. You see that? It's a very easy answer. Jesus is God. But he functioned as a man. You with me? So let me ask you a question. Who walked on the water? Well, Jesus did. Didn't he? But what would Jesus say? Jesus would say the Father. So this introduces the great tension of the New Testament. Which is, I, but not I. Remember the Apostle Paul? I labored more than any other apostle. Sounds awfully arrogant. Uh, But it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. You see the tension? This is what happens when I hear people in ministry all the time. I'll I'll have a, like this person will come up and sing this most beautiful song. You ever had this happen? Or, Or they preach a great message. And you go up to them and you say, man, that was really good. And what does the person say? It wasn't me. It was God. And I want to say, well, I could have sworn I saw you moving your lips up there. Don't say things like that. What you say is thank you. I am glad that God ministered to you through me as I sang or preached. You with me? You deflect it to the proper source, but you don't say it wasn't you because it was you. You with me? So here we go. You ready? Who fed the 5,000? All right, let me put it to you a different way. Everybody answer. Did Jesus feed the 5,000? Yes. yes. Did the Father feed the 5,000? Yes. So did Jesus or the Father feed the 5,000? Yes. yes. You got it. Good for you. Do we believe it? Yeah. Do we understand it? No. Oh, you're good. You are so good. Okay, take out your paper. How did Jesus do all that he did? If you wrote down because he was God, survey said, wrong answer, baby. How many of you had written down Jesus was depending on his Father? Good, that's a, that's about it. Good, but how many of you now know better? Oh, n- nobody learned anything. <laughs> Frustrating crowd, Ross. <laughs> frustrating. How many of you now know what the answer is? Everybody on to have their hand All right. Why is this so important? Because now how are we to live? We are to live the same way. You read John six fifty seven. Let's go back to it now. Just as the
1: living father sent me and I live. By, from because <laughs> good for you of the father so the one who is uh, who feeds on me will live
0: because of me and again not because of same word so if you look up here in the overhead I live ek out of the father now you live ek out of me Jesus is saying I want you to live out of me the same way I lived out of the father you with me Now, we're going to stay in John 6 because he says some fascinating things. Let's go to verse 51 and why don't you keep reading, sweetheart. And let's read verse 51.
1: I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world.
0: Okay. We're going to do a little translating. I wouldn't translate it eats. Eats is what tense? Past, present, or future? present, this is not a present this is an aorist verb an aorist verb is a past action with abiding results so if I were to use an aorist verb I would tell you on December 11th 1982 I married Janet now if I use an aorist verb what am I saying I married her on that day and what I continue to be married to her to this day for which she is extremely thankful <laughs> just kidding just kidding
1: is this being taped
0: Okay, so a past action with abiding results so how many times do you have to eat of Jesus Christ to be saved one time and you get abiding results what does it say about eternal security of a believer that's right you don't have to worry about ever losing your salvation by the way I get these little Christianettes who talk about losing their salvation where's the focus on them or on God on them. By the way, have you ever read First Peter chapter one? You have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven, listen to the language, kept by the power of God. Do you really want to say to me that your ability to rebel from God is greater than his ability to keep you? Are you that arrogant? Do you really mean to say your power is greater than the power of God to keep you? We need to think. We need to think. We need to be honest with the New Testament. Also, the word he uses is fago. Fago means eat. Isn't that exciting? Okay, so we already did the example of marriage. Now let's read verse 54.
1: 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up off at the last day.
0: Okay. Now what he does is he does use the present tense. He who eats of me continuously will have eternal life. The difference is he uses a different word and this is trogo this time. And trogo means continuously feast. Trogo would actually mean crunch and munch. That's its literal Greek translation. This would be the eating at a buffet. So let's put those two verses together now and watch what Jesus says because this is an amazing truth. He who will eat of me one time, Fago, will have everlasting life. But he who will eat of me all the time will experience eternal life. So how many times do you have to eat of Christ to be saved? Once. What must you do to experience your salvation that you feast on him all the time? Again, I love word pictures. So I said, Father, please give me a word picture. And this is what he gave me Fago is eating the way a cat eats. You ever seen a cat? Fifi, time for dinner. And Fifi goes, What are you serving? (laughs)
1: You
0: ever seen a cat? And then they sort of just walk over to it. and, uh, And that's exactly what we do with Jesus Christ when we came to faith. What are you offering? Are you okay? Are you real? And then we went and we tasted of Jesus Christ. You with me? But now once you've tasted of Jesus Christ, you know where real life is found, so now you feast. That's eating the way a dog eats. Everybody seen the way a dog eats? Woof, 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 woo. Right? And you put it down and he's... Woo. Let me tell you. We had steak once. We had this 110 pound dog. And we had steak this time. Because, you know, we're in the ministry and we don't get to have steak very often. And And we had scraps. And so I gave the scraps to this 110 pound dog and the dog went, woof, and didn't even taste it. So the scraps are now mine. Because the dog just didn't appreciate it. You see what I'm saying? I asked God again for another illustration and this is the illustration I got. The illustration of an IV line. I want you to think about an IV. How many times do they insert the IV? Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> One time. I, had a, look, I got pretty good veins, man. And this guy stuck me six times. Can you believe that? So I looked at him and I said, Buddy, you get one more shot. And then you and I are locking horns. He said, let me go get somebody else. I said, good call. So he, he stuck one time. But then what happens? The drip, steady life. That's what Jesus is calling for. You come to him one time and you have life. But if you want to experience, you've got to keep coming to him and keep coming to him and keep coming to him and feast on him like you're at a buffet. Okay, with me?
1: Like living water.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good word. John fifteen verse six. He said, "Without me, you can do nothing." We alluded to this in the last session. A branch does not produce fruit. Its only responsibility is to completely connect to the vine so the vine can produce its life through the branch. It's all about Jesus, King. It is always all about Jesus. Jesus is the only one that ever lived the Christian life. You never lived it. Tina, you never lived the Christian life. Jesus lives the Christian life through you. That's because Jesus is the only one that ever can live the Christian life. Because He's God, and you're not. He wants to live his Christ life through us as we trust him by faith, living in complete dependence upon him. So we come back to Romans chapter 5 and we say the transgression of the one, death reigned. That's in Adam, we got death. But much more, we got much better news. Those who tithe receive two things the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace will reign in this life. There's the key word through the whole verse. Through the one Jesus Christ. That is so very important. Without this phrase, do you realize all we've got is different doctrine? And then you go to the Baptists and you go, We got different doctrine. And you go to the Presbyterians and say, We got different doctrine. And you go to the Mennonites and say, We got different doctrine. Who gives a flying flip? Doctrine will not empower you to live. We have Jesus. That's how we live. And then we can go to them and say, Guess what? You have the same Jesus. You got different doctrine, but the same Jesus. See? With that phrase, doctrine is relegated to its proper place. So receive the gift of Jesus, because you can't have a relationship with the doctrine. It's all about Jesus. We were never created to live by correct doctrine, but correct doctrine was intended to lead us to the person of Jesus Christ. I found this little thing in my church. On a Sunday morning. In the Sunday school classrooms. And I was not happy. (laughs) Because what does this say our life support system is? The Bible. Have you not ever read John 5.39? Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them are eternal life. And I tell you that is wrong. They are not eternal life. They lead you to me. I am eternal life. So I changed it. There you go. Now the only thing I wish I could do is put a Bible in this boy's hands. Because <laughs> how do we learn about the Jesus life? We learn about it by the Bible. There's some silly, silly Christians who caught this message who actually tear up their Bibles and say, "We now that we got Jesus, we don't need the Bible anymore. Stupid. How do you learn about Jesus? By the Bible. That's <laughs> what Jesus himself said. You with me? John 5.39, Jesus said doctrine doesn't give us life. They lead us to Jesus. So here we go. We were never created to live independent of God. Do you realize that? The issue is not that you're stealing. The issue is not that you're lying. The issue is not that you're committing adultery. The issue is that you're living independent of God. That's the disease. All those things are just symptoms of the disease. When you live independent, that's the kind of stuff you're going to get in your life. You were never created to have all the right answers. Isn't that good news? Now yeah, you can say, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that cool? People come up and ask you a question. I don't know. <laughs> I'm connected to the one who does know, though. See? You were never created to be strong. Isn't that cool? You can be weak. Gloriously weak. How are you? Weak, thank you. Very weak. Isn't that cool? You were never created to be Perfect. Isn't that wonderful? Now you can tell people your failures. I'm going to tell you some of my failures tomorrow. Just tempted them to come.
1: I got to hear this.
0: I'm going to tell you a bunch of them. I'm not going to tell you about the one last Thursday though. Well, that was bad. (laughs) I did tell my elder friends though. You were never created to be in control. Isn't that good news? You you shouldn't be in control anyway because you'd screw it up we were created human beings which means we're weak and dependent creatures who were designed to draw life from God now Major Thomas I was with him in Denver and he said to me Frank God gave us a daily illustration of drawing life from Jesus did you hear that? and I started thinking God gave me a daily illustration of drawing life from Jesus every day every day Every day he's teaching me to live dependently. Help me, Major. I, I don't get it. He said, Well, Frank, God put a sun, S U N, in the heavens to rule in the day. And the sun shines its light to the earth. Now, God put another light to rule in the night called the moon. But the moon doesn't shine its own light. It draws its light from the S-U-N. So the sun rules the day and the moon rules in the night. Both shining light. But the moon shines the light of the S-U-N. Now sometimes what happens is the moon gets in the way of the sun. And we call that an eclipse. And there's no light being shined to the world. Sometimes... The world gets in the way of the sun. And again, the light can't shine. Whoops, back up. You with me? So let's go back to our original illustration. God put a sun, S-O-N, to rule the day. But in the darkness of this world, he put a light called the church. Now the church is to shine its light in the darkness of the world. But it shines not its own light, but the light that it gets from the sun, S-O-N. Sometimes what happens is the church tries to shine its own light. And there's an eclipse. And the world stays in darkness as the church tries to shine its own good works. Sometimes we get too much world in the way. And we try to do the church by worldly methods. And make it all about church growth and all that kind of stuff and man's rules. And then the light of the S-O-N doesn't get through to the world in the darkness. Do you see it? Do you really see it? The only way to shine the light in this darkness is for you and I to draw our light from the S-O-N. In other words, my friends, as Major Thomas used to say, God is the dynamic of his own demands. He is the power behind his own principles. He will never call you to do that which he himself will not provide for you. And so Major Thomas used to say, take a car without gas. And what do you have? You have a car, but it's not going to work like one. And you're going to get very tired pushing it around town. Take a pen and take the ink out of it. What do you have? You have a pen, but it's not going to work like one. Take a man or a woman and take God out of them. And what do you have? You have a man or a woman but they're not going to work like one. Because that which is indispensable to their humanity is the only thing which will allow them to function according to their design. It's God, my friends. It's all about God. One of the most neglected and one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament is Romans 11.36 Of Him... Look at the prepositions. Through him, to him, are all things. He is the source, he is the means, and he is the goal. Father, a word picture please. A circular river. Notice that wherever you get into the river, it's the river. What's carrying you along? The river. Where are you going? The river. See? Of him, through him, and to him are all things. Be that dependent, my friends. Now let me ask you a question. What kind of people on this planet are that dependent? Children. I heard it. Who said that? You did? Okay, Bob? (laughs) Sorry, brother. Yeah, children. What kind of people are that needy? It's children. May I suggest to you some language that maybe you've never pondered? That Jesus was the supreme child in a kingdom of children. Have you ever thought of Jesus as a child? Let me show you what happens here. This is very, very important, so clue in. God had two kids. And he wants his kids to be children with him. Did you notice the graphic? Let's do it again. When you are a child with God, He fills your little cup. By the way, that's what you're called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're called earthen vessels. Little clay pots. What is a clay pot used for? To hold something. When you have a coffee cup, what did you put in it? It's a container. You put coffee in it. Something good. You have this treasure in your little earthen vessels. So when you are a child with God, watch this, you'll be able to be adults with each other. See, I can come to Darlene. I don't need anything from Darlene. Darlene doesn't need anything from me. We can have a very adult relationship because we're both children with God. You see that? But what happens if you decide to become adult with God? Watch for your vessel. <coughs> empty. So now what do you do? What do empty vessels want to do more than anything else? Get full. Problem is, you're separated from God, so who do you look to? Other people. We call that two ticks with no dog. (laughs) Trying to suck the life out of each other where there isn't no life. And so when you're adult with God, you're going to be childlike with each other. Do you know what the world is? It's a gigantic nursery full of a bunch of screaming babies.
1: Mine.
0: You know what the church is? Same thing. A bunch of gigantic nursery with a bunch of screaming babies. Because they're so adult with God, they're childlike with each other. And it's a big nursery. And in nurseries, little kids beat up other little kids. I should tell you this story about my son. This is a, this is a little rabbit trail, but it's cute. I had this nursery worker come up to me after church. And she's like, I've got to tell you about your son. I said, okay, what did he do? She said, well, he was in the nursery. And you've got to understand, this boy is, he's so mild-mannered. He was a linebacker when he played football. You know what linebackers are? They hit the crap out of people. And the coach would get mad at him because he'd, he'd be like this. And then the play would start, boom! He'd knock the snot out of somebody and then he'd be like this again. He was just a very <laughs> mellow guy. But you don't mess with him. So she says, he was in the nursery and he was playing with this little toy. And this other little kid came up and took the toy away from him. And Pastor Frank, he didn't cry, he didn't yell, he didn't try to take his toy back. I said, well, you know, he is his father's son, (laughs) you know. And she saw, the little kid took the toy to the other part of the room and and little Benjamin went over and, and picked up another little toy, a little toy phone. And I thought to myself, wow, look at that boy, how easily he can just have his goals blocked and just go to something else. And then he picked up that little toy and he started to walk over to that other little kid. And she goes, oh, I see what he's going to do. He's going to offer that kid that toy and then take his toy back. And so he walked over to that kid like this and he welled up like this and bopped that kid on the head and took his toy back. And I said, well, you know, he is his mother's, you know. <laughs> this is what the church is, man. It's a bunch of gigantic babies in a gigantic nursery. Jesus was a supreme child in the kingdom of children depending completely on his father for everything pertaining to his life. Now here's the problem. It's easy for a child to be a child. It is very difficult for an adult to be a child. May I suggest to you a scripture? In the book of Genesis, God told Abraham, take that boy up and put a dagger in him. Have you ever read that text closely? There is not one argument There is not one iota of discomfort, indecisiveness, anger, frustration, inquisitiveness. All you read is, and Abraham took that boy and headed up to the altar. May I suggest to you that was the decision of a child. A child who said, yes, sir, I hear you and I will do what you said. And it took 120 years to get that man to be a child. An adult would have said, wait a minute, God, that's the promised kid. You don't kill the promised kid. An adult would have said, wait a minute, God, you told Noah there's not to be any taking of life anymore. See, an adult would have argued. A little kid says, yes, sir. See, what happens is the world grows us up into adulthood. And God takes over and has to grow us back down to childhood. And that's not easy for us to do. In order for you to become a child, you've got to start seeing your personal resources as liabilities. I'm just by nature a very strong man. That's a weakness. I am just by nature sharp-minded. That's a weakness. You have to see your resources as liabilities. Say no to them so you can say yes instead to a personal Abba. To do that, you need a revelation. You need a revelation of your own neediness or you will never see the necessity of your dependence. Father, give me a revelation of what I'm really like. I want to see it, even if it's not so pretty. And then secondly, give me a revelation of who you really are. If you don't know who he really is, you'll never depend on him. This is exactly what happened to the prodigal. Remember the prodigal? He's living in a foreign land. He's living with a bunch of pigs. What happened? He looked at himself and said, I'm with a bunch of pigs. (laughs) Then he got a revelation of his father. My father treats his servants better than this. That was an incomplete revelation but it was enough of a revelation of his father to get him to go home. If he did not know his father would treat him well he would not have gone home. So you need to do that. That's your homework assignment. You would go home and say Father, show me what I'm really like. Strip off the facade no matter how ugly it is. And show me what you're really like so that I can trust you. Okay? Alright, I want to tell you a little bit. One more thing. i got to share you a story. How do we turn that off? There we go. Just about my little girl and my little guy. We were on vacation and we were in a pool and we are swimming and my little guy is Mr. Kamikaze. Back up, Dad! Three, four years old. Whew. Fly through the air. Exhilaration. Thrill. Caught by strong arms. Strong arms. Okay. All right. But my daughter is sitting over there on the sideline. Back up, Dad! Yeah. And my daughter's sitting on the sidelines. Lastly, come on, baby, come and jump. No. Come on, baby, come and jump. No, Daddy. And she goes over and sits down on the bench. All right, why won't she come and jump? What's the matter? What's going on? She's afraid. Now fear is a secondary emotion. So we got to dig a little deeper. People don't just walk around in fear. They have a reason for their fear. What's her fear? What? That I might not catch her in terms of what? My heart? Or my strength? My ability? I think it's both. She either doesn't believe I have the ability to catch her or she doesn't believe I have the heart to catch her so she sits on the sidelines but here's the key my son isn't sitting on the sidelines he is trusting his father and he is laughing and he is experiencing exhilaration and thrill as he's flying through the air and then caught by these strong arms and the little girl watching him and watching him and watching him gets a little jealous so she walks over to the edge of the pool That's what you doing baby? She says, "Daddy, will you catch me?" Of course, I'll catch you. Come on, baby. Come closer. Come closer. Come close. It wasn't even a jump anymore. But what did her father do? Met her where she was, and then what did she do? She jumped. And what did I do? I went. No, I didn't do that. I did. Just kidding. I. man and pretty soon what was she doing Back back up dad here's the key the religious world may not agree with you and what you now believe but you know it and start jumping off the edge and flying through the air and experiencing life like you've never experienced it before And experience the exhilaration of your Heavenly Father catching you and laughing with you and being pleased with you. And that religious community that doesn't believe the way you do is going to be watching you. And when they see the joy and see the peace and see the freedom, they're eventually going to come to you and say, What have you got that I don't have? And then you can introduce them to the same Father that you've come to know and experience. In other words, live your freedom. Live your freedom experience life and they're going to watch you they're going to be watching you even though they don't agree with the doctor and they're going to have to see what you're experiencing and we're going to make them jealous Mm -hmm. isn't that cool Mm -hmm. All right, father that's my prayer for each and every one of these men and women that they would experience the exhilaration of living with a father who will meet them where they are and walk with them and love on them in Jesus name now I'm not quite done I got to do one more is that okay? This is so cool. I know, I just saw that, Tina. Looked at the clock. <laughs> you, you know, alright, Tina, you can leave. The rest of us, we're going to get it. <laughs> just kidding. You love me? Okay, good. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Then what he does is he says, here's what the flesh looks like. Anger, selfishness, envy, murdering, jealousy, yada, yada, yada. But walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, of self-control, right? And then he says, so let's go walk. But guess what he did? He used two different words for walk. This is glorious. This is in my devotional that I'm writing. Hopefully have it done next year. This is so cool. This is such a great revelation the first walk is the walk of circumspection the walk of orderly it was actually used of a lawyer in a courtroom very deliberate very in control when you walk with God like that you will not be walking in the flesh you'll be walking in the spirit but the second word for walk when God says so let's go walk he doesn't use that word he uses the word of a toddler wow how does a toddler walk? What does God think about you? How's he, he going to think you're going to walk? He knows you're going to walk like this. Isn't that cool? Now, when my little kids—I had four of them—when they would walk to me, "Come on, baby, come on, baby," and they would go, "Boom!" Fall down. Who got upset? Did I walk over there? Stupid kid. Did I do that? No. Who got mad? They did. What did the dad do? Two steps you made it two steps baby come on let's try again how do you think your heavenly father treats you just like that you took two steps Terry I'm so proud of you come on man get up let's go for three isn't that cool and here's the problem my toddlers usually did real good until there was a noise boom what does Hebrews say fix your eyes on the author the source And the means, the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus and watch how that helps you as a little toddler learn how to walk. What I'm trying to say to you is God doesn't have expectations that you're going to be walking around like this. He knows you're going to fall all over yourself as you learn to walk in liberty. Isn't that a good word? So go toddle. What time are we doing tomorrow? 9 9 a.m. Hope we see you here.